Good morning. Welcome to Circle Drive this morning, especially those of you who are guests. And if you're listening online, welcome to you. I'm looking especially snazzy today, though you can't see me. In fact, I had a number of people come up to me as I was walking through the halls and other places saying, oh, you look really good today, Wayne. Oh, you look so good. And I thought, man, that surprise and shock should concern me about the other days of my life. So if you want to follow along and the notes are in your program or you can go to Uversion, click on circle, events or more and that'll take you to your notes and that'll kind of help you follow along. If you've missed a week, last week we started off this series. If you missed, you can go online, cdac.ca and find the messages there. You know, when Pastor Alvin or myself or Paul prepare to speak, um, we put a lot of time and energy into preparation. We want to be really clear in what we say. We want to communicate well. We want and hope that we're engaging. And, but also there's a responsibility in your part to be a good listener, to be attentive to what is being taught on any given Sunday morning. And listening is as important to communication as is being clear in, in what you say. And I was thinking about that and I read this story. It's about a lady who was um, doing some baking and somebody came to the door, it was somebody, it was a man and he had, uh, he was looking for some money he needed to make some money and he wanted to do some odd jobs and she said, well, can you paint? And he says, you know what, I'm a, I'm a really good painter. She said, well, there's two gallons of green paint uh, right over there and there's a porch out back that needs to be painted, so please do a good job and I'll pay you when you're done. He said, fine, I'll do it, I'll do it as quickly as I can. So she went back to her baking, didn't think much about it. There was a knock on the door. She went and it was obvious that he'd been painting, had paint all over his clothes. And she said, did you finish the job? And he said, yes. Did you do a good job? He says, I did a great job. But lady, there's one thing I like to point out. That's not a Porsche, that's a Mercedes. <laughs> yes, thank you. So we're continuing our four-week series called Heart Shift, and the truth behind this series is this. The smallest acts produce the largest changes. The smallest acts produce the largest changes. So the key to lasting change, whether it be physically, spiritually, relationally, financially, emotionally, intellectually, in any area of those lives, the key is making two-degree changes. So last week, we learned that when you try to make a 180 degree change, when you try to turn things around really quickly, you find that to be very difficult, overwhelming. The failure rate is really high when we try to change in that way. And I mentioned last week, people who start going to the gym and they're gonna lose 200 pounds by the end of the month and they get overwhelmed by the fact that they have just taken on too much. And so instead of keeping going, they just give up because it's too overwhelming. With a two-degree change, you're changing small things a little bit at a time in process so you don't get overwhelmed. And when you do fail, you can look back and say, well, I can continue on because it's just a two-degree change. Every day, it's just a two-degree change. So I want to review some of the principles. and not going to spend too long. You can, if you weren't here last week, you can go online, as I said. I want us to review just some of the principles that we learned last week. And these are kind of the introductory four principles of heart shift. So the first one is 
Pride and anger can prevent change. Pride and anger can, vent, can prevent change. When we have pride and anger, it means that we are not teachable. It means that we probably have some bitterness and some resentment in our lives. And it's difficult to make two-degree changes when you have pride and anger. Just another aside, a little funny story. Pride, I identified many years ago in my life seven core sins that I have to deal with on a daily basis. They never go away. Hopefully that I don't give in to them as much as I've done in the past, but they're, they're always there. And one of my core sins that I've identified is pride. And I, I like to think of it as confidence, but it really, really is pride. And so I always, it's always good to have my family to put me in my place when I say things that may be a little bit proud. So the other day we were watching, I love Jeopardy. I love answering the questions. Alex Trebek is my hero. I have an Alex Trebek Christmas decoration. And so as I'm watching, I'm watching his final Jeopardy, which is my favorite. I want to be able to get the final question right. And I got it right. I thought it was a particularly difficult question. And I got it right. And I said to Debbie, boy, wasn't that impressive? And she says, yes, Wayne, you're always very impressed with yourself. <laughs> so there you go. There's that pride. The second principle, two-degree changes can ruin or renew, ruin or renew. So our healthy choices, our good choices, ongoing, those two-degree choices can bring renewal, can bring life, and our unhealthy choices, even those choices that are two degrees, can bring ruin. C.S. Lewis said this, this is so good, good and evil both increase at compound interest. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions that you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. And the third principle we learned last week, change is a slow process. It requires patience because it takes time. And finally, change requires community, requires accountability and support. So today, today we mentioned this last week, today we are going to look at Nine reasons, nine reasons, I hope you brought a lunch, nine reasons why we will not choose to make two-degree changes. Nine reasons why we will choose not to make two-degree changes, and one reason why we must make two-degree changes. Now, I, was, I was preparing this, and that seems kind of unbalanced, right? Nine reasons why we won't, one reason why we will. And I was thinking about that. And here's the thing, and all of you know this to be true, that bad habits are easier to start and to maintain than good habits. Once you, don't you agree, like, you have to agree with me, it's true, okay? There's my pride. It's, it's just true. Wouldn't it be great that your good habits in life, the ones you really think you should establish in your life, in any area of your life, don't you wish that your good habits were easy to, as easy to start and maintain as your bad habits? I know I wish that was the case. The reality is, is that it's easier to make unhealthy choices than it is to make healthy choices. And so that's why, there's, that's why it's so unbalanced. That's why there's nine reasons we will not choose to make two-degree choices and one reason why we will make that choice. Now, some of you, I love... I'm a, I'm a big reader, I love to read. My wife and I read very different books. She likes history, she likes um, books on true detective. You know, that's that kind of, I find really boring. 
I like, I like, because she'll say to me, she says, Wayne, you should read this book. And I said, I'd say, does it have sword fighting or dragons in it? And she says, no, well, then I'm probably not going to read it. I like, I like those kind of fantasy science fiction books. I've read them since I'm little, and I've always liked mythology and Greek mythology or Roman mythology. So I'm, you may have heard of Hercules. Right? Hercules is that really superhero of Greek mythology, really strong. There used to be a cartoon, there's been many shows on Hercules. There used to be this little cartoon that was seven minutes long and they did a whole bunch of them one after the other when I was a kid, a Hercules cartoon. I love that cartoon. So Hercules was this superhero guy and he was given 12 tasks. And the third task was his most difficult. He had to face this hydra, this nine-headed serpent-like creature to get on with his next task. That was his third task. He had nine more after that. So that's what he had to face and it was probably his most difficult task. And for me, the hydra represents the walls, the barriers, and the obstacles that can pre prevent me from making the two-degree changes in our lives. And I want to look at the nine most common reasons. There's probably a lot more, but the nine most common reasons why we do not make two-degree changes in our lives. So the first one, and these are in your notes. Uh, no, sorry, they're not in your notes. They're going to be in the screen, so pay attention because you have to write them into your notes. I just left, left a blank space there for you. I do not see a need to change. I do not see a need to change. All change begins with an inward motivation, an inward pressure that is caused normally, not always, but normally by outward circumstances. It can also be caused by something that's going on internally. It can be caused by past experiences as well as present experiences. But all change begins with that inward pressure, that inward motivation that says, I need to change. It could be relational. It could be your spouse says to you one day, I cannot be in relationship with you anymore. I'm leaving. I've seen in 37 years of pastoring, I've seen that happen many, many times. It could be a financial pressure where you're in debt and you don't know how you're going to deal with your debt. It could be a physical pressure where you're feeling really out of shape or your doctor has said to you, you need to make some changes in your life and how you eat and getting some exercise or else you're not going to last very much longer. All those outward, outward forces bring pressure to our inward life and many other outside forces other than ones that I've mentioned create this inward pressure. If we don't have this inward pressure, it's really easy for us to ignore the need for change. So sometimes, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you find yourself in a place you weren't expecting. Sometimes you, I, I'm not talking about somebody who maybe overdoes it on, at a party. I'm talking about just normal life. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you go, man, I'm alone. Why am I alone? Man, my kids do not like me. What have I done that my kids do not like me? Man, I am so out of shape. How did I get this way? I used to be such a great athlete in high school. How did I get this way? How did I get to this place where I don't know why I am who I am or why I'm here at this particular time in my life? These moments of crisis are times that we see a need for change. Now, you know, ideally, ideally, it would be best that we would just say, man, I really want to be healthy. I want to be healthy physically and relationally and emotionally. I just want to be healthy. I want to be healthy spiritually. 
It'd be ideal that that, we, that would be the best motivation and the greatest motivation for us to change. But often it takes crisis. It takes something that brings pressure to our lives before we change. I remember when I was in university, I was very social. I was very involved on campus in different activities. I really liked girls and all those kinds of things that went on. And so I just spent a lot of time not studying. And every year, for the years I was in university, every year I would get to April, and in the middle of exams, I was taking political science, and we had these lengthy three-hour exams, and we had huge papers. We had 30-page papers for every class. And I would get to the end, and I would have had a lot of fun, but I had probably two or three papers that were due in December that I had yet handed in in April. And so I always got to know my professors really well to make sure that I could get those extensions that I knew I would need. I had, I had absolutely, I had, I had to have that, that crisis in my life before I said, okay, I better start studying now, or I better start working on my paper. It wasn't enough for me just to be healthy. I just needed that crisis, that pressure before I worked on my paper. When I went to seminary to get my master's degree, I decided I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ahead of all that, and I did that. I just, I changed my life by doing that. But it was because of the crisis that I started to change my life and, and made changes in my studying habits. All of us need to change, and sometimes it takes crisis to change, and that's the first hydra head. It's the first barrier, the first wall. I do not see a need to change. The second one is, I do not have time to change. The Greek philosopher, Sophocles said this, and this is back in 406 BC. He says, time is a gentle deity. Time is a gentle deity. Now, that was back in the sundial days. Okay, that was back in the sundial days where things moved fairly slow. In 21st century Canada, time stands over us and cracks the whip. Time is anything but gentle. You know, you know that because we're always in a hurry to get from point A to point B. Just think of yourself at an elevator button, right? How many times do you push the lit elevated but elevator button to make sure that it knows that you want to get to the fourth floor, and the quicker the better? How many times do you come to a crosswalk and you go, I need to push this, even though the three people in front of me push the button, I need to push the button because if I push the button one more time, it'll be much faster. That's how we live our lives. We are very concerned with getting things done and getting things done quickly because we feel like we're busy all the time. Even with all the time-saving devices that we have, we feel busy all the time. I just, like it amazes me. The other day I was talking to Danae. Danae was, not the other day, back at Christmas holidays. Danae was there and I said, Danae, could you call Davin and ask him to pick up something on his way back from work? And Danae went, to pick up your phone and he went, Siri, Call Davin, and it dialed Davin's number, and then Davin answered, and we went away. I thought that was so cool. When I, like those of you who are baby boomers, you remember when you had rotary phones, like you know, and you had to make a quick call, and you turned, dun 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 dun. dun. You'd hope that there wasn't a lot of big numbers because it took you forever. Nine one one, you might as well just drive to the hospital by the time you dial. So. Time, let me just say this, time seems like a pressure, it seems like it cracks the whip. But here's the deal, and I believe this to be true, 
because people come to me all the time. They say, I want to grow spiritually. And then I give them, hey, let's, let's meet every week and let's work through this particular process. And they go, man, I don't know if I have time for that. And I stop them and I say, how many hours of TV do you watch? Oh, I don't know, two, three hours a week or probably longer than that. And I say, okay, listen, take one of those hours that you use for TV and give it to God. Now, that means it's not an issue of busyness, it's an issue of priority. It's an issue of priority. And I, to be honest, and I've, Debbie and I have both worked full time. We had three little kids at home who all took lessons of one sort or another. We had two cats and two dogs, and yet we still had time to do things spiritually. We still have time for our kids because it was an issue of priority. It was an issue of priority. Hide your head, number two, I do not have time to change. Next one, number three, I do not have the energy to change. I do not have the energy to change. So, and you know, I, I totally get this. I get this because I've, you know, I've lived for almost 65 years, so I get this. It's been the case uh, maybe throughout my life where I've said I don't have the energy. Especially is true right now when I'm older. I'm going to be 65 in a couple of months, and it certainly feels like I don't have as much energy as I used to. And you know what? You know, the thing is, is that one of the reasons I actually retired is that I said, you know, I just don't have the energy anymore to give what I want to the day-to-day -day being a pastor. So I still enjoy volunteering. I still enjoy doing that. But I, right now, I'm just, like Alden, I just feel so glad when I wake up in the morning. I don't have to do anything. I can go walk martini, and I can do things slowly. And I, I so enjoy that because I really legitimately did not have the energy. You know, when I get, when I get to heaven, here's what I want to do. I want to ask God this question. Now, God, as you were thinking through creation, wouldn't it have been wiser to have us get more energy the older we got than the other way around? Like, why give the three-year-old who really has nothing to do? Why give them all the energy and give me at, when I was 30 and had three kids, well, 35 and had three kids and two dogs and a full-time job and my wife had a job and why give me less energy than my kids? Wouldn't it be great as you wake up in the morning and you, if you had this all reversed and I could, I could say to my kids, hey, let's go do this and let's do this. And go, oh, dad, we're so tired. We just want to watch TV and nap. That would be preferable. Okay. I, that's what I'm going to ask God. Of all the questions I could ask God, that's what I'm going to ask him. Yeah, there's others. So all of us can relate to this energy thing, whether you're in school or work or have children, whatever it is your life is like, you can relate to this. Life can suck the energy right out of us, and it makes it difficult to make the two-degree changes. That's why it's so important now to be healthy physically as much as possible. I know some of you struggle with a number of things physically, but I put a high priority on physical strength and physical health because I know how important that is to the other areas of my life. So hide your head, number three, I do not have the energy to change. Number four is I have too much pain to change. I have too much pain to change. Pain becomes an obstacle, a barrier, a wall for us to change. I'm not going to talk about this at all today because next week that's going to be my focus. My focus next week is why pain is critical to change. In fact, why you probably need to experience pain before you'll experience the need to change. 
So hide your head, number four, is I have too much pain to change. Number five, I do not know how to change. And I've, the first two weeks of this series, I'm looking kind of at principles, um, things to keep in mind when we're talking about change. The last two weeks, I'm going to look more at some practicalities of change, so I want to work on that uh, the next two weeks. Uh, Tom Gordon came up to me and talked to me about a book called The 12-Week Year. I don't know if you've heard of this book, The 12-Week Year, Brian Moran. I'm actually in his club now, and uh, he does some really good teaching, some good insights that I can't give you in a 30-minute talk, but he gives you some great insights on how you can bring about change in your life very slowly in terms of two degrees. It's called The 12-Week Year by Brian Moran. Hide your head, number five, is I do not know how to change. Number six, I have failed. I have failed. I talked a bit about this last week. The reason, this reason for not changing is probably the most paralyzing. We try, we give up, even if it's not just 180 degree, even if we've tried a series of two degree changes, we get to the end of a week or a month or even a year and we go, I don't know that I'm really improving, I don't know that I'm moving forward, at some point along that time, you probably are going, why bother? This is a lot of work. Why bother? The problem is, here's the problem with this, is we, if we think this, that why bother, that means we don't see life as a journey. We don't see life as a journey. Some of you are familiar with the book Pilgrim's Progress. There's a really good book for kids called Little Pilgrim's Progress. My kids loved it. I used to read it to them um, when they were younger. And what this book is about is about a, a man who becomes a follower of Jesus and it's about his life moving forward. And it's all about the different challenges he meets on the road. Sometimes he jumps over a fence because the grass on the other side of the fence looks greener. And then he gets cap captured by some evil being and imprisoned for a period of time. Once he escapes, he comes back. He doesn't go to the start. He doesn't go to the start of the journey. What he does is he gets back onto the road where he was captured and keeps on going. That's how we need to view our lives. We are on a journey, and sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we don't practice what we need to practice in any area of our life. We don't go back to the start. We don't want this start, stop, start, stop. What we want to do is to go where we left the path and then keep on walking on the journey because there's nothing more frustrating than thinking, I've got to start all over again. You don't have to start all over again. Go to that part of the path that you left the path and say, I'm starting from here. And all those great things that I experienced back here, those still are built into my life and I can move ahead. Here, some of you are really um, half glass, I'm gonna to talk to you right now in particular, half glass kind of people, maybe a little bit negative, a little bit pessimistic. And so what you focus on is the one time that you really messed up instead of the nine times that you really did well. And that's what we need to do. Focus on those things we've really done well and move forward with that. Learn from those things you didn't do well and move forward with the encouragement of what you did do well. Hide your head number six as I have failed. Number seven, I need a quick fix. Man, I can't tell you in the thousands of hours of counseling how many times I've heard this. I've had people actually say this to me. Um, either God or you needs to work a miracle in our marriage because otherwise we're done. I have had that over and over again. And I have said to them very, I'm, I tend to be blunt. 
And I said to them, no, you don't need a miracle. You need to, do, you need to live your life differently. You need to become a healthy person. You need to be more dedicated. You need to be less selfish. You don't need a miracle. I'm not going to provide you a miracle. I'm not going to give you a magic pill. I'm not going to wave a magic wand, nor is God. You have responsibility for change in your life, and you need to take responsibility for that change in your life, or your relationship will end. Your relationship's not going to end because I didn't have a magic pill or a magic wand. Not because God didn't work a miracle. Your relationship's going to end because you're self-centered, because you're not dedicated, because you're not willing to work hard. You're not willing to forgive. That's why it's going to end. When it comes to life, change, whether it be physically, intellectually, financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, we all need to move close, slowly, intentionally, with hard work, and not look for a quick fix. Hydrahead number seven is, I need a quick fix. Okay, number eight, are you feeling a little overwhelmed yet? feeling like, oh man, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not going to change. Probably some of these are going to ring true for you. Maybe the last two will ring true for you. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to think about what it is I'm saying and evaluate your own life and just say, okay, what are the, we've heard, we've heard um, seven things right now. I've got eight and nine yet to go. What is it that, that I need to pay attention to? What do I need to say? These are some barriers or walls or obstacles that prevent me from changing. Number eight, okay, this is a big one. This is so big in, our gener in, in the generation, not necessarily my generation, it could apply, but certainly to the younger generations. You got Facebook, you got a lot of multimedia, you got everything. This is it. I will never be as good as the people around me. I will never be as good as the people around me. Comparison is one of the most deadly heads of the hydro. Comparison is one of the most deadly heads of the hydra. John Trent said this, to the degree, listen really carefully to this, to the degree that you compare yourself with others, you'll find your desire or conviction to change decrease. Okay, I'm going to read that one sentence again, and I'll read the rest of it. To the degree that you compare yourselves with others, you'll find your desire or conviction to change decrease. Making constant comparison with others is like drilling more and more holes in yourself. And then you are drained from all desire to change. Comparison kills motivation. And that's why it's the eighth head of the Hydra. I will never be as good as the people around me. Number nine, the last one, and then we'll get into the one reason. We don't have a lot of time here to get to that one reason, but it's okay. We'll, uh, we'll get to that one reason why you need to change. Here it is, number nine. I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own. I talked about this last week. We all need support and accountability. That's why we have support and recovery groups. That's why we have Vantage Point. That's why we have mentoring. That's why we have the marriage course. That's why we have... Um, youth and young adult activities. That's why we have men's breakfast. That's why we have mom's circle. That's why we have circle groups so that we can experience the support and accountability from the people around us. We are not on the Hercules journey where he is by himself with nobody else but himself. 
we have people around us who want to walk with us on this journey to two-degree changes. Now, some of you know that uh, a while back I went through a bit of a cancer scare, and at, when I initially got some diagnosis, it was a bit scary because they kept moving me really quickly through the system, which um, kind of indicated to me that something was more wrong than I thought it was. I wasn't feeling bad or anything, but just tests had been taken. And uh, one night, Debbie and I were, it was our small group, our circle group night, and we were driving, and I felt this, and we, were, we weren't going to the circle group, this, we'd normally go on a regular basis, and just this night I felt like I needed to do something else, and so we were driving, and I won't get into the details there. And then all of a sudden I just felt this overwhelming pressure that I needed people around me to speak into my life and to pray for me. And it just was like overwhelming. So we, we drove to Ravishander's home and went to, this group was already going on, and, and we waited until it was done, and then I shared with them what was going on in, in my life, and they came around and supported us, Debbie and I both, and continued to do so on our journey, and I thank God that, that um, I'm free of cancer, and at least my last checkup I was free, so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for my circle group, our circle group, that came alongside of us and loved us and supported us during that, that time. And it's already been mentioned in the announcements, but just in your bulletin, group link is happening. Please take advantage of a group. This is a great way to connect. Because Hydrahead number nine is, I can do this alone and we, we cannot. Okay, so the one reason, the one reason we need to change. So, let's, let me tell you a story in the Bible. So this is in the Bible, this is in the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. First part of the Bible called the Old Testament. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, which is like the fifth book in, and it's uh, in the 30th chapter. So that by, at this point, the Hebrew people have been freed from slavery. They were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. They were freed from slavery. Moses took them out of um, Egypt, and God promised them that they would enter into this promised land, which we now call Israel. They were promised they'd enter into this promised land. So they got to the Jordan. They could cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And they decided that they would send some spies in. And the spies came back and said, you know the people that we're going to encounter when we cross the Jordan? People that we're probably going to end up having battles with? These guys are giants. They're giants. And we're going to have to face them. And the people were so afraid, they said, no, we're not going to do that. And even Moses said, we're not going to do that. And God said, okay, if you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, you're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years, and then we're going to come back, and all the young people with a new leader are going to cross the Jordan. You're going to still have the choice, but hopefully they're going to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. So they wandered around for 40 years. They came back, and Moses gave this speech. And in this speech, he says, okay, younger generation, because Moses never got to cross. He died without crossing the Jordan in the Promised Land. He said, okay, younger people, you have this choice. You can cross that Jordan and enter into the Promised Land. So your choice is a choice of life or death. Your choice is a choice of blessing or curse. Now, blessing in the Hebrew language has a very significant meaning. It means to add weight or value to someone or something to add weight or value to someone or something. It means healthiness, it means growth, it means meaning, it means purpose. Cursing 
or curse means to subtract from someone or something. It's like plugging up a, a stream or a river with a dam so that the people on the other end can't get the life-giving water. It means unhealthiness. It means stagnation. It means meaninglessness. It means emptiness. So the Hebrew people, that young generation, they decided we're not going to be like the old generation. They heard those stories. We're not going to be like them. Joshua lead us across the Jordan River, and Joshua led them into the promised land. So we have the same choice. We have the same choice between life and death. And the one reason we must change is if we do, it brings life. And if we don't, it brings death. Our decision to make two degree changes is a life and death decision. Our choice to change can bring new life to our relationships, to our finances, to our emotional health, to our physical health. Let me just, just end with this relational thing. And I've seen it over and over and over again. If we make the necessary changes in our life, if we become healthy people, if we grow and mature, our relationships will be impacted in a positive way. If we don't, our relationships will be impacted in a negative way. So when you make a choice in just one area of your life to make a two-degree change, you impact your relationships by giving life and blessing to those relationships. I can't think of a better reason to change but to bring life and blessing to our relationships, apart from even including our emotions and our physical health and every other part of our life. But I can't think of a better reason to change than to bring life and blessing to those around us and to ourselves. We are responsible for making two-degree changes. It's hard work. We have to be really intentional. But it applies to all of us. I don't care what age you are, where you are in your spiritual journey. We are responsible for making these two-degree changes. And let me again encourage you to seek support either individually or a group. I, I highly encourage you to take your notes home or re-listen to the sermon and say, what are some of the areas that are barriers or walls or obstacles to me that prevent me from changing? And begin to identify those and work on those particular areas. Last week, and I'll read this again, it's from a soldier who wanted to live his life well, who wanted to experience life and blessing, and this is what he said. This is how we involve God in this whole thing. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power when I was young that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Please stand. There are some people up front here. If you decided you want to begin a journey of change in your life and need somebody to support you, talk to, pray for you, or if you've got some other area of your life that you really need prayer, let me encourage you to come forward and do that. Common ground is open.
and we're looking forward to spending time together at Common Ground. So feel free to stop by there and have lunch. God bless you. Next week, next week, a lovely topic, an enjoyable topic, a happy topic. Why pain is absolutely needed before you'll change. God bless you. Have a great week.